Open up your Bibles, if you have them this morning, to the book of James, the book of James, chapter 1. How many people know James was Jesus' brother, right? Apostle James, the brother of Jesus. Jesus had four earthly brothers. James was one of them. Tough role to play. Tough position to fill. Yeah, I think of strange things. I don't know about you, but I think about what it would have been like to be James. Like that had to have been, you'd think, oh, he was Jesus' brother. But like imagine if your brother came to you when he was 33 years old and said, dude, guess what? I'm the son of God. Gotcha. You didn't know that all this time. What does that mean? Like I'm the Messiah. I'm the one, you know. I'm sure Jesus didn't do it that way. But the Bible does tell us that his family didn't believe that he really, they didn't grasp other than maybe his mother that he really was who he said he was, you know? And so James kind of struggled with this thing while Jesus was alive and he had his earthly ministry that he didn't know, he didn't get it. He didn't see that Jesus really was who he said he was. But after Jesus died and rose on the cross or, or rose from the dead, and, and then we know that James ended up being one of the strongest apostles in the New Testament church. And his writings in his, in his book are just, man, they're just solid, like hit you in the gut, you know, like the kind of teaching we need to hear today. And some of the greatest things happened through his ministry. He went, in, he went on to end up being martyred for his faith, right? So he was one of the heroes, even though in the beginning he struggled with some doubt. How many people know that even if we doubt or we struggle with doubt for a little bit, that God, when he gets a hold of us and we get a revelation of who he is, and he can begin to do an absolutely amazing and powerful thing in our lives from that point forward, no matter how much doubt preceded us in that point. So anyway, James... Chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to read the first four verses, and then we're going to dig in. James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let me pray one more time. God, Lord, in Jesus' name, I just ask you, Father, Holy Spirit, to speak through me. God, anoint me today to deliver your word. Lord, I am nothing. Just allow me to decrease so that you may increase in this place. We're here not for a message from man, but we're here for a message from you, God, to edify and to strengthen us, to strengthen your church. Speak through me, Holy Spirit. I trust that you will, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ah, man. Okay. So the Lord's been just kind of dealing with me over these last couple of weeks and, and, and just saying, look, you know, I want you to come to the church and I want you to begin to teach and to exhort and, and to preach a series of messages for the next number of weeks that are really geared towards growing people strong in their faith. You know, this whole idea of spiritual maturity has been really, really heavy on me. Um, that that's a big part of what we're to do here in the church is that we're to seek the lost and we're to get, help get them saved in a relationship with Christ for eternity, but we're to also grow the believers up strong in their faith to become spiritually mature that they may do battle in the world with what's out there and what the enemy has to bring. Yeah. 
right? We know that the Bible says that the enemy, he, he, he lurks around like a lion on the prowl, seeking whom he may devour, right? So there's a formidable foe out there that wants to attack. He wants to destroy the works of God in the lives of God's children, and so in order to be able to go out and, and move forward in our destiny once we know Christ, but to overcome the enemy consistently again and again and again, we have to get strong and we have to grow up in a, into a spiritually mature place as time goes on. Now, here's the reality of this. I've, I've done this long enough and been in ministry long enough to see a, a, a pretty good number of things. And I can tell you for a fact that you, you can see someone who goes to church every week, week in and week out for 30, 40 years, mind you, and just kind of goes through the motions, um, the rituals, if you will, so to speak, because it's, it's kind of like a duty or an obligation, a feeling of, of you know, duty that they do it by. And they could do that for 30, 40 years, and ultimately, you still can see a person who is very weak and immature in their faith. They haven't grown up into a spiritually mature place. Length of days surpassed does not automatically equal spiritual maturity. And at the same time, I can see, and I'm seeing now, even in this church, young people or people who just come to know the Lord and are kind of early, if you will, in their Christian walk, in their faith, three, four, five years of walking with God, and yet there's this incredible depth to their faith. There's this maturity. There's this strength that you're just like, wow, that is inspiring. I, I, I want to grow like that, right? So I, I feel that God is very much wanting to do a work here in this church through the years ahead, but certainly I feel he's saying now that let's, let's really focus on helping people to get strong in their faith, to grow up a congregation of people who are on fire for the Lord, who, are, who love God, but who are spiritually mature and strong, because it's going to take strong, mature believers to raise up other strong, mature believers. Are you with me? You know, it's the reason why Paul says in the Bible, he says something about how whenever people first come to know Christ, and he likens it to like a baby growing up, as far as his example, he says that they, they, they nurse on milk, but at some point, they ought to be able to eat solid food, right? At some stage, they shouldn't need milk any longer. They should be able to get nourished on solid food. And he's likening that example to how as Christians, as we grow years down the road, we shouldn't still be in this weak, vulnerable, immature state where our faith isn't strong enough to go out and kick the enemy in the teeth whenever he comes to threaten what God's doing in our life. Amen? Amen. So I want to I focus in on that, on getting strong and spiritually mature, and in these passages from the book of James today, I want to talk specifically about how to grow through trials, about how to get strong and how to develop spiritual maturity through the trials that we face in our lives. Are you with me? If you're with me, say, I'm with you. All right. So we're going to break these passages down. And the first thing that I just want to point out, he says, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, in verse 1, right off the bat, okay? Always something significant in everything in the word, right? 12 tribes that are scattered abroad, why are they scattered? They're dispersed because now that Jesus is gone, the New Testament church is being built, the foundation is 
being laid, but ultimately there is an enormous countermeasure of persecution that's happening at the same time under Herod. He is seeking to kill and destroy. He's obviously motivated by the enemy. He's seeking to kill and destroy and squash out the movement of Christ's followers. So when we see teachings about how to walk through trials and grow strong, which we're going to get into today, just understand that we're looking at probably the most credible kind of example that you can get. People who are out there being hunted down, killed and dying for their faith in Christ every single day. That would definitely count and qualify as a pretty serious trial, right? Yet nonetheless, guys, if you study this, it is so amazing that it can't even be described as natural. It has to be chalked up as supernatural, that even under the most intense persecution, killing, dying, all these things, the New Testament church exploded. It was a movement that could not be stopped no matter what it was that the enemy was bringing. And these believers, these new Christ followers, were not just believing in Christ and finding their salvation. Guys, they were growing strong, and they were growing strong quickly in their faith. They were becoming leaders and giants of their faith that they would be able to reach more, win more, and that they would be able to overcome more and more obstacles that the enemy would bring against them. So they're scattered abroad. Now, let's get into this. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. This is going to be one of those kind of teachings where we're going to just step by step break these passages down because this is, to me, one of the greatest few sentences, passages in scriptures in the whole Bible when it talks about becoming spiritually mature. He says, count it all joy, joy. If you study that in the Greek, what that means get this, is to, is to have an awareness, an understanding of the, the grace and the favor and the blessing of God that is on your life. Now think about that for a second. When we look at our lives, when we look at what Christ has done for us and what we have because of that, when we consider the purpose and the destiny that by the grace of God he has assigned to us, we become aware of that. It produces in us a joy, a bubbling, a liveliness, a passion that can't be squashed out by what trials may bring. So he's saying, look, consider it all a joy, meaning recognize or be aware of the grace of God that is on your life at every moment of every day. Does that make sense? He's saying everything that you go through, forget about the thing, step back, recognize the grace of God that is on your life then and there in that moment, and it will begin to produce in you a joy a happiness that is unthreatened by whatever the trial is that's coming your way. And then he says, consider it or count it all joy. Now, if you look at that, that means to lead with, to start with, to begin from, to place in first order of priority. Now, this is where we get off track, is that we begin to start focusing on the trial in the details of the trial, and that draws more of our attention than what he's saying. Forget before you even think 
about those things. Step back and place in first priority this idea that you need to see the grace of God here and now in your life in this situation as the first order of priority before you go about thinking about anything else or dealing with this trial. That means he said, consider it, count it all joy. Grace recognized the awareness of God's favor and his blessing and his grace on your life. It says, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. That word trial, interesting. It actually means something that would threaten to break or to interrupt the pattern of grace recognized in your life. Is that powerful or what? Think about it. What really is the trial here? Is it the issue, the circumstances that we're really dealing with? I think not. The trial is the threat to get in and derail us and get us away from having an awareness and a faith of knowing we are blessed. We have God's grace and we have his favor here and now on our life in this situation. That's really what trial is. It's a threat of the enemy to interrupt or break that pattern in our life of knowing that we're walking in a constant state of grace because of what Jesus did for us. A constant state of favor and a constant state of blessing. But it happens, doesn't it? We get derailed from that and we get focused in on the problem, on the trial, and it swells our attention and focus and this becomes the thing that consumes us and we completely forget and get away from the fact that I have grace, I have favor, I have victory now. Never, it never left, right? In any trial, when did grace leave you? Never. I think never, right? It never does. So if we realize that and we say, start with, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my faith built up. I'm going to start with knowing I got grace and I got favor now. And then I'm going to think about and deal with these things. Now all of a sudden you come at the problem with a fury and with a victory and with a faith that that problem has no chance of standing against. Can I get an amen to that? That's, that's important, right? Now, it's funny because I think about, like, when we go in the car and we drive our whole family, I have to kind of coach Katie on her driving a little bit sometimes, you know? It's, I'm just, you know, being a good husband, helping her to see. Um, and so one of the tips, the teachings that I've given her, she's just boiling right now, just so you know, is... Um, when she's driving and a, a deer runs out, because that happens a lot of where we live, right, in the country back road. Mom, you know that all too well. Uh, smoked one one night. Anyway, so when a deer comes running out in front of us, I have to explain to her, because she's like, ah, ah, you know, she wants to jerk and swerve, and I'm like, Dear God, no, just run through it, you know, like try to slow down, but just don't try to avoid, just go straight on the lane that you're in because there's a greater problem of hitting a car head on or swerving into a ditch or hitting a tree or whatever than running through a deer, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Let me back up a little bit, okay. So, so 
my, my point is, is that this little deer really can't do much harm at all to our precious cargo and family inside this big SUV. But what damage can be done is if it interrupts her, not me, her, from, <laughs> if it interrupts us from staying on the lane that we're supposed to be on to begin with. If we veer off track and, it, and the deer interrupts the progress and the movement of where we're headed, then great calamity can come upon us, right? It's the same way. When we're headed in a direction of God's leading, knowing that he is in full control all the time and that his grace and favor and blessing are upon us all the time, it's never leaving us that if we allow a trial to interrupt and break that pattern of faith and awareness in our lives, then that's when the calamity can start to come upon us. And ultimately, a lot of things, unfortunate things, can happen. The trial can sometimes lead us into sin. We can eventually get this trial to interrupt our life, and it can lead us into a place of sin because we veer off track of realizing that we're walking in grace and favor of God. It can cause us to begin to get bitter. Bitterness and resentment can start to build and grow as the result of a very difficult trial. It can cause us to get angry. It can cause us to feel defeated, discouraged, depressed. It can cause all kinds of things that aren't heavenly and that aren't of God because the trial has interrupted us from a place of knowing we're walking and standing in God's grace and favor. And then the trial begins to lead us into a place of temptation. And then sin can begin to follow in that. That's how serious a trial can be. And we, we know that. But we have victory over that if we walk in joy, hence the awareness of God's favor and his grace and his blessing on our lives at all times. Amen? Amen. So here is, here is a quote that I, we, I want you to grab onto, is that the trial is actually won internally before it's ever fought externally. This is huge, right? It means that there's something in the beginning of every trial, of every temptation, and every start to break the pattern of awareness of grace in our lives, that there's a battle that ultimately needs to get won and settled on the inside of us in our spirit before we're ever to fight the battle physically, externally, outside of us. If that victory isn't won first, guys... We are fighting an uphill losing battle externally, no matter how hard we swing. Yeah. This thing needs to get settled in here right off the bat when we recognize a trial, a temptation to derail us from knowing the grace and favor of God is on our lives. Amen? He says various trials. How many people know there's all kinds of, all different types of trials, right? That word various, it means manifold. It means multifaceted. Look, I've, I've walked through so many different seasons and trials and issues with families and people now of being in ministry. That's a great privilege, and, and I consider that an honor to be able to do that. But I can tell you, while there are patterns that you re recognize and that you pick up on, that you see, every situation is always completely unique. And everybody knows, especially if you're raising kids, right, that every trial that comes along is unique in its own way. There's things that you learn from experiences, but there's also something fresh that you need in every type of trial that you face. 
The wisdom of God is always fresh, it's always penetrable, and it's always active in every situation that we face in our lives. And so when we're raising our kids, you know, we want to try to help them learn this lesson too. It's like, look, take a step back. Where do you see God in this? What do you recognize about what God has said that we can start with, that we can begin with to kind of build a foundation of faith before we attempt to try to address or deal with this circumstance or this trial that you're facing? We know that God says we're to treat each other kindly and treat each other with love. We know that he says that we're always to be honest and never lie. So we, we build a foundation of truth and awareness of God's grace and favor on our lives before we ever start to strategically think about how to walk through or deal with the situation that we're facing. Very important, right? And, the, and that we recognize that the trials are all going to be unique, but this idea of awareness of grace and favor on our lives is always consistent and always empowering for, for us through every situation we go through. And then he also says through that, he says, don't fall into or as you fall into various trials. Now that falling into, listen, there are types of trials that we can fall into that are a result of uh, disobedience, right? That's like falling into a pit. But listen, there are also trials that we fall into, and this is what this means here, because it's just surrounding the situation that we're walking through. There's just issues and imperfection and brokenness in a world that we are called to walk through life in. So trials will come upon us not as a result always of disobedience that happens, but trials will come upon us as a result of obedience and following Christ and what he has for our lives. Does that make sense? So just knowing that in itself to me is kind of empowering because it settles the issue of just because something bad is happening doesn't mean that I did something terribly wrong. Certainly worth to step back and evaluate and let the Lord inspect you to ensure that he doesn't convict you that that's what the issue is. But ultimately, as a result of following God in our lives, we will walk through trials that we probably wouldn't choose for ourselves that are actually going to be a part of the process of maturing and growing that God wants to do in and through us. And that's where we're getting ready to go into now is this whole idea of maturing and getting strong and growing through these trials that come our way as we walk out our destiny in this earth. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith, faith is trusting God, right, through every situation, and trusting, or I'm sorry, testing means to be found approved. It means to be like held up against something and be found approved in that particular type of situation. So as we go through a trial and, and we, our faith remains strong, meaning we continue to trust God through it, right? And then we also recognize his grace and his favor on our lives that ultimately there is an approved, it, it's basically like saying that our faith has been tested and now shown approved through that situation that we've walked through that has threatened to derail us but did not succeed. So think about it like this. A soldier, their abilities are tested in battle. A ship 
is tested on the open seas. We know if it can stand strong and if it can survive and it can continue whenever it's put out into the things which are going to come against it and put pressure on it. Our faith is ultimately tested the most through all of the trials that we will ever walk through in our lives. It's not through the easy roads and the simple life and the nothing bad happening where our faith really gets challenged and pressure put on it and strengthened the way that we want and need it to over our lives. It's through the trials that we face that the pressure that's put on ultimately causes a strengthening of our faith, which will bring about a maturing and a growing process in us that prepares us for more things that are yet ahead in our destiny. Does that make sense? I mean, you think about some of the people that you know, I can certainly say this, that seem like they have the strongest faith, just faith warriors. Those are some of the people that have been through some of the most difficult situations that you can think of and have never stopped trusting God through that. There may have been temptation. There may have been great heartache, sorrow, certainly. All of that is part of, the, is part of what you can see. But ultimately, there's never a point where they gave up on God, quit trusting God, and, and, and stopped knowing that His grace and his favor and his blessing was still on them in their life no matter what they were going through. And time by time and season by season and situation by situation, it's just like they're growing stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's maturing and maturing and maturing. And these are giants of the faith who can deal with whatever situations the world bring at them and continue to have a response of faith and victory, not a response of weakness and defeat, right? I mean, I, I guess really, I wish it weren't so, <laughs> kind of just have to say that, that trials were part of the equation to make us stronger. But look, I, I don't know about you, but I can't read through this book and tell you anything else. It's just the way that it goes, that there are going to be things that we go through in life that are going to be very difficult for us. But ultimately, what's happening in us from God's perspective is always of infinite more significance to him than what's happening outside of us. Does that make sense? See, the enemy, he wants to come and he wants to attack your faith. He wants to attack the walking in awareness of favor and grace and joy because he wants to, he wants to rob you of that joy because he's already lost the battle for your soul. If you love Jesus and you know him, the enemy has lost that battle. He can't have your soul anymore. But you better believe that while you walk this earth, this place where the enemy has a reign of disaster and death, that he is going to try to come at us with everything he's got to keep us from walking in that state of joy and of grace and knowing that we are never removed from the power and victory of God over the trial that we'll face. If he can break us of that and get us off track and veer us off the road into a ditch to hit a pole or to hit a tree or whatever, he's going to do everything he possibly can to accomplish that. Anybody been there before, right? He says, he says the testing of your faith produces patience that patience may have its perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Patience. 
Patience is actually endurance. It's like faith over the long haul, right? It's as this is happening and as we are responding appropriately in faith and it's being tested and then approved, we're winning that battle, that ultimately there is an endurance that is being created. It's like working out over and over again and pushing yourself a little harder each time. You, your endurance continues to grow little by little by little each time that you do that. Right? You can handle more and more and more every time you go to work out if you're continuing to push yourself a little bit harder. Saying the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance, which is giving you more faith for the long haul for the road that's still ahead. And that patience will have its perfect work in you. Now, this is where this thing all comes together. Because a perfect work means to complete a process to grow, to mature. Do you get that? Wow. That patience and endurance will have a work in us. Meaning, that process, you guys, of going through trial, recognizing the awareness of grace on our lives, never being broken from that faith, and then going through the trial produces endurance And then that process over and over again is exactly what spiritual maturity is all about. It's exactly what producing strong, mature believers looks like. And Paul, or in James is saying, he's saying, he's giving us like, it's almost like a formula, right? How many people remember in math, like E equals MC squared? Everybody knows that one. Nobody's raised, what? It's Albert Einstein, have you heard of him? Look, check this out. I'm, I'm having fun, but maturity, M, just so, okay, <laughs> equals endurance, E, times, capital X, right, Life church X, Whew, man, T, which is trial, plus, meaning never removed, is J, joy. Just think of it like this for a second, that like James is like saying, he's like, look, this is like a formula here. This is a formula of spiritual maturity. This is how this thing works. This is how we lay this out. He's talking to people that are fighting for their lives every day. They are under intense trial. And he's saying, look, fear not. There is a greater thing that's happening outside of all of this that you're experiencing. You're growing stronger and more mature. You're growing in faith. You're becoming warriors in your faith for God because, brethren, there's so many more trials that will lie ahead that need to be fought. That's why he wraps this thing up by saying that you may be complete, lacking nothing. See, we have to be ready and prepared in every moment and in every season to have a measure of faith, to have a response of faith that's from God, not from the world system, toward what it is that's happening in our lives in the world. And he's saying as you mature and as you grow stronger in that, ultimately you are going to continue to not lack anything in the moment. You'll be fully equipped in every season of your life for exactly what's needed in that moment to win the battle that you're fighting. Is that amazing? And when you think about it like that, it makes me think like, I hate trials but I don't want to circumvent a growth process. I don't want to avoid an experience, a process of maturing and growing that's going to leave something in me, that's going to do something in me that I'm going to need for what's still yet ahead. 
And when we look at it like that, it's like taking a step back and seeing things from a 30,000-foot point of view instead of just being right there down on the ground, right? It's like, holy cow, this is a bigger deal than, than the circumstance or the trial itself. And really, when you do that, the trial loses a lot of power over you too because it's like, this is just a small, this is not the big deal. Like, there's something bigger happening here. And God's doing a work in me that's more significant than what's happening outside of me. And sometimes I think if God's, God would maybe think like, if you could only see, you know, if you could only see that little bitty trial, nothing. I'm God. I got it. I'm doing something in you. Let me do it. So many greater things ahead. I need you to be strong. I need mature, strong believers in my body to reach the world. I need more of them. I want to do that with all of them. Walk through this with me continue to know that my grace and my favor and my blessing has never left you and it never will. Amen? Amen. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 in the New Living Translation. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Wow. This is heavenly things right here, guys. That every trial we walk through approved. Do you realize that there's a glory that will come upon us as we go to be with God in heaven for all of eternity, that that glory, it says, will never fade. Is that stir your spirit or what? I mean, that's just, this is an eternal thing. The trial is a temporal thing. It'll be here today and gone tomorrow. The glory that falls upon us as a result of walking through the trial, victorious, being tested and approved, and growing stronger and more mature, that will carry with it a glory over our eternal spirits in heaven that will last for all of time. That, to me, is unbelievable. Praise to God for that. And praise to God that through our difficult, most difficult moments in our lives that we can step back and always continue to see his strength, his favor, and his grace, and that it will always draw near to us and empower us in every moment that it's needed. Some of God's greatest revelations and greatest experiences of strength in his power, guys, they come through some of the most difficult trials that we walk through in our lives. And though sometimes my human nature would like to make it not so, ultimately I resign myself to the fact that God is sovereign and he is all wise. And if he chooses to work this out in me and through my life in such a way, I will trust him through every step. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet with me today, please. And I just want to encourage you as we close to continue to put first things first, to continue to step back and see things in your life from a 30,000-foot point of view. 
Because God's watching down from an elevated position over everything that's happening. And when he sees it all, he understands way more than we can possibly imagine. Take a step back and choose to see the things that he sees that he's given us in his word. Things like his grace, his favor, his presence will never leave us. It will always be there in every situation that we go through. And as we do, ultimately, almost immediately, when that revelation of truth kind of starts to set in as we step back, joy just begins to bubble up. Happiness, no fear, spirit of victory, all the things we have begin to manifest themselves out here and now in our lives. And the trial just begins to grow smaller and smaller and smaller. And ultimately, we welcome the opportunity to grow, to be made mature, and to become the kind of people that God has created us to be. He doesn't intend to have a bunch of weak, fearful, intimidated children going around the earth, being kicked around by the enemy. That is not his plan. His plan is for strength and victory, to rise up in his church, and for more to hear that, more to grow in that, and for the enemy to ultimately get put in the place that he needs to be put. Amen. Bow your head with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you today, Lord, that you would just move right now in this place. Holy Spirit, that you would just start to work on hearts, soften hearts. God, begin to pull and tug at people. Help them to see just this resounding greatness of who you are and what you have planned for their life. If there's anyone here today that doesn't know Christ as your Savior. You say, Pastor, I, if I were to die today, I, I, I don't know for sure that I would be in heaven. Maybe you've never really given your life to Jesus before. You've never confessed Him as Lord and Savior in your life. Or maybe at a point you did and you've walked away and you've just went down a totally different path and things are a mess and dysfunctional and, and you needed to get back to walking with Christ. You need to get back on that journey with Him. If either one of those situations describe you, listen, I want to pray with you today, and I want you to be bold. I'm going to ask you when I count the three to raise your hand, and I just want to know who you are because I want to know who I'm praying with, and I promise you this will be the greatest decision that you will ever make in your life. Everything else follows this. Christ needs to be real. He needs to be personal for you, and you need to have a relationship with him. This is not an ideology. This is not a religion. This is not a self-help message. This is not a motivational speech. This is the word of God. This is the truth. He is, a, he is a person and he wants to live in you and he wants to know you. You say, Pastor, that's me. I need that prayer. If that's you, one, two, three, raise your hand, please, and I will pray with you. Yes, I see your hand back there. Is there anyone else? Be bold. The confession of your faith needs to be strong. You say, I need that prayer today. I need to get back to walking with Christ. I've veered away or I, I want to accept him today for the first time. Is there anyone else? All right, I want to pray with you who raised your hand. And listen, it's got nothing to do with my words. It's got nothing to do with anything except the posture of your heart. Grace is free. Forgiveness has already been bought. It's been bought by the blood of Jesus that was spilled for you. It's personal and it's real, and he wants to invite you into a relationship with him. And as you say these words and pray this prayer from your heart, the Holy Spirit will come and live on the inside of you and make you a new creation. You say, dear Father God, I ask you today to come and live on the inside of me. 
I confess Jesus, your son, as my Lord and Savior. I want you to make me into the person that you've created me to be. I turn away from the old life that I've known. And Father, I turn to you now. Lead me and guide me every step of the way and make me in who you created me to be. In all of this, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.